All right, we have Samuel T. Weston with us, and Samuel knows it's time for dedication. Samuel, what would you like to dedicate this episode to? I'm going to dedicate this episode to the film community in Duluth, Minnesota. Wonderful, right? It's the hotbed to make movies. It really is, yeah. They already have another like a Christmas movie out that was filmed yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, Merry Kiss Cam. Uh, they filmed back in May, actually, in Duluth. Uh, made full-on fake snow, and um, you know, just just shot it really quick. Edited it really quick, and now it's uh, doing pretty good on Hulu, apparently. Yeah. Merry Kiss Cam. Merry yeah, Kiss Cam. I haven't yet seen it yet. I want, yeah. I want to wait till like we get to the real deep holiday season to watch. But oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's definitely uh, you know it's a solid Christmas movie. It's a great advertisement for Duluth tourism. Um, yeah. Not that it was made as an advertisement, but it definitely like hits the right marks. Wonderful. I love it. So to all the people that make films up in the Duluth film community. Wonderful. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. Paul Filmcast with your host, Nick Palotichuk. Each episode, Nick interviews filmmakers and other artists from the Twin Cities area. I'm Carly Palillo, and thanks for listening, and thanks for finding us. Please give us a review, and feel free to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And now, lights, camera. All right, uh, welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, before we begin, I'll let you know I'm on YouTube with uh, Kyle, Kyle Gothi, another film critic. Um, him and I, we do Kyle Nick on Film, the YouTube channel, and we critique movies three times a week. We do have a Patreon for that uh, YouTube channel, so I'll put the link down below. Check out the Patreon for, for some great deals to tell us what movies we should review in the future. And then you get some great insight deals of, of other things that we talk about that only a Patreon exclusive. And today we have... Hi, I'm Samuel T. Weston. Hey, Samuel. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, before we begin, a little tidbit. Uh, you made a movie. Yeah. Uh, let's give them the name of the movie. Uh, it's called Gleahan and the Knaves of Industry. Where can people find the movie? It is available on the Fantasy Network. Fantasy? Where's the Fantasy Network on? Well, it's it's the Fantasy.network. Okay, so it's a... Like... The website is literally thefantasy.network. Um, so it's a it's a streaming service that's um, specifically built by independent fantasy filmmakers um, okay. to showcase genre content. We're talking fantasy, sci-fi, a little bit of horror, um, and you know some of the things that they have on there are behind a paywall, but there's a lot of things on there that are available for free. And Glehan is one of those movies. Wonderful. We will definitely put the link down and then to find people find the website. Yeah. And just because it's a very unique name, could you just mention it from our listeners? What's the name again? Uh, it's Glehan and the Knaves of Industry. It's <laughs> spelled G L E A H A N. Can people get a physical copy of it yet? Ah. Uh, you used to be able to on the bad version. Uh, the, 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 <laughs> bad the non- okay, look, look. Here's the thing. All right, there, is, right. there is an original cut uh, uh, that um, I put out in 2018, and then there's a director's cut that features like the sound is actually fixed. Um, the original cut has uh, has Blu-ray release that I've since kind of pulled back, and okay. I just have them uh, the remaining Blu-rays sitting in my uh, sitting in my closet. Um, but, uh, I don't stand by that cut anymore. So, uh, in order for there to be a physical release, I need to talk with a distributor so we can actually get Blu-rays made because between when we actually had that, had that Blu-ray release and now, um, Adobe Encore decided to stop existing and, uh, which we recorded on. Well, that, well, we were using Adobe Encore to like, um, encode the blu-rays got it okay yeah, All yeah. Right. or to, to master the blu-rays and stuff 
So that's no longer available, which means that there's no prosumer level uh, Blu-ray authoring uh, apps available anymore. Yeah. And sound is really like, they they say sound is like 50% of the movie. It's even more than 50%, I would say. But yeah, along those lines. I can't remember. uh, Stanley Kubrick's first film, I think was called The Killing in the, the visually, it's stunning. You see his talent, but he just went half budget on the sound. And it's so awful to listen to. It's so hard to digest because the sound is so bad. It pops in and out. Some, yeah, I, it, I think I've seen that film. Is that like a, a World War II kind of thing? It's black and white. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of his first films, but he realized then, even though visually it's a visual medium, you have to pay attention to sound. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just to all the. You, you and I both have been directors. This oh, sound yeah. can. You need backup equipment to the backup equipment because something's going to fall apart one day. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I have learned the hard way that sound is incredibly important. Um, <laughs> I was I was actually really, um, really fortunate to find a sound designer in in 2021 um, who who really knew what he was doing and was able to like make a bad film sound really good. Um, you know, cause I've seen him done it before now. Uh, and, and so, and so he, uh, I, I asked him, Hey, are you willing to, uh, you know, redo the sound on Glehan? And, uh, you know, so we talked rates and he was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and good. we managed to do it in the span of like three months with me also working with, um, you know, my, my composer, Alex Muller, um, you know, I, I had already composed the music, but um, she went in and helped, uh, you know, re, rework things so yeah. that it actually, like, sounded proper to the way I was already imagining it to be. Uh, you and I, before we started recording, yeah. we talked about my the movie I want to do next, and I'm not going to make it until I get a film score, because I know the mm. punch of a film score for sometimes the movie would help it a great deal having having grown up with um really great film scores like you know the lord of the rings and star wars um yeah no like film scores are are so important and undervalued and i'm really pissed off that the last 10 15 years of film scores have just been bland yeah it's almost like Overproduce. I don't. Well, I know that sounds like yeah, yeah. It's like sound design, you know. Um, but it's you know they just lay in this this track so that it fills out the soundscape, but it doesn't actually like have melody, you know. Yeah. Or or if it does, it's very subtle. No, I've talked about this quite a bit for the last yeah. six years. How we lost everything is rhythm. We lost a melody mm-hmm. in music. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't get me wrong, like you know there are some really good artists who are who are making good rhythmic sound uh film scores i mean i think of like the mandalorian or any recent hans zimmer stuff um you know mm-hmm. and and there can be really good ones i um, the one that just popped in my brain i'm sorry to interrupt yeah. uh barbarian had a really i don't is think that, i've seen that one that was the that's what you talk about that aesthetic like boom boom mm. boom but it's that it's like are you playing music but it's that aesthetic of just playing one beat, a yeah. rhythmic one beat, four four measure. Yeah, it sounds simplified almost. Where you like, how, but it fills in for what the story is. Yeah. So I think that's I check out Barbarian because it, I, it's another another avenue I was talking about is so cliched heavy, even the film score. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, film score uh, to me is is such an undervalued thing and for all of the films that i do uh including glehan i make sure to have like you know some kind of clear melodic content to it you know you know some some good like 
leitmotifs and stuff like that. You know, the, the, the classic, like, um, you know, John Williams type stuff. Yeah. Um, or Bernard Herman with uh, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock, oh, know, yeah. like North by Northwest or Psycho, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then with film score. Yeah. Uh, did you, with your movie, was that kind of the first things you thought about or was it something, you know, it's kind of the catalyst or something like, all right, we'll make the movie and then present it to the film score. Cause there's a lot of different options when you put a film score in your movie. How do you mean? I, I don't follow. Well, like sometimes you get the film score first before you make the movie to as a motivation. This is the look of it. Or sometimes you make the movie and then you hire the film score to watch the movie and to get the idea. Yeah. So for me, the process was a lot more. Um, so I was, I was, you know, making the film, uh, or, you know, like, like writing the script, shooting the movie. Um, and, and in that time I was like looking for a composer, uh, didn't have any contacts cause it was just, you know, figuring out, figuring things out as we go. And it got to a point where I was like, well, uh, we're not getting a composer to the point where, or we're, we're not getting a composer, near enough to um the the time that we're going to need one okay um so i think i might just take a crack at it myself um because i i had some experience as a choir kid of like listening to music and, and knowing what i like uh and i've i've you know i had written a little bit of music here and there before yeah um so so i was just like okay screw it i'm gonna compose the music myself and uh, so I did. It's not the greatest music, but I still love it. I mean, I I've, I literally listen to it in the car sometimes. Um, and and when I was when I was like, you know, composing it and and you know basically plunking it out on uh, my my MIDI um, uh, sheet guess, music sheet okay. music editor like uh, MuseScore is what I used. Okay. Um, I you know I was working overnights at a hotel at the time. And um, so I was working on the, the score during those overnight shows. <laughs> when so, you got quiet time, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it was a it was a great opportunity. I can get into that a little bit in the in the future or a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but but um, so as I was composing this like or, and, and just listening back to it, um, there would be random hotel guests who would walk through the lobby and they were they were listening and they were like, I like that music without any knowledge whatsoever that it was my music. Uh, and so it was just a little bit of validation that was like, yeah. okay, yes, I'm on the right track. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not the greatest music, but I stand by it. Wonderful. I like, um, so let's talk about, yeah. since we're talking about the film scoring, we talk about the, the movie is called Glehan and the, the Knives of Industry. Did I get it right? Glehan and the Knaves of Industry. Knaves of Industry. Um, so let's talk about, this is you wrote and directed, yeah, and also did the film score. I, I did many things. I wore many hats, um, not out of really like control, but more just like, um, what's the word? Just because of necessity. Necessity, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just because nobody else is available. Now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I also like ran the camera. Um, I did. Yeah. I did a lot of the lighting. Uh, the only lighting that's actually good in the film is the stuff that was done by other people. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, there's a, a horror movie with Karen Black and Christopher Plummer. Mm. It's called The Picks, mm. but it's P-Y-X. Wonderful. Everything is wonderful, but they obviously did not hire a gaffer because it's like you watch the movie like, where is everybody? I can hear you, but the sound, but they didn't hire a lighting person. And it's lit really awful. Mm. So it's supposed to be like a noir 
And it's like, oh. my God, you, yeah, I know it's supposed to be dark, oh, but. Film noir is one of those things where lighting you, is more important. More, yeah, yeah. We're just a noir. We just make it dark. Like, you need lighting expert. So if you ever find it, the movie's called The Picks, and it shows you how desperately you need gaffers. Yeah. All right. So um, Leon and the Knives of Industry. Knaves. Knaves. Got it. Ah. I'm going to work on that. You got it. Um, written. Did you, How did you come to start to write it? Um. Actually, it was it was um, kind of a burst of inspiration, um, which doesn't normally happen for the stuff that I do. But um, so it was it was Duluth Superior Film Festival in 2017 when I was watching the premiere of another movie that had kind of a similar. Pr- I should probably establish. Um, so so Glehan and the Nace of Industry is the story of an opportunistic asshole who joins the quest of a delusional man who thinks he lives in a fantasy world. A little bit of Don Quixote. A little bit of Don Quixote. I, yeah. I literally, like, in some of the marketing materials, I literally called it Don Quixote for the millennial age. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. You know, because it, it takes the same premise and then just swerves it into a completely different direction. You yeah. know? Um, but but so, so I was watching um, uh, a similar, a movie with a similar premise where there's this... Um, um, you know, crazy guy in Duluth who, or, uh, he, he, they called him bipolar. I'm not sure if that was really an accurate description, but, um, he, he, um, had a lockbox um, that was, that was, uh, chained to his hand or to his wrist. Um, and, and, um, sorry, I'm just, it's, it's all kind of coming back to me, but like, there was a mob boss who was like upset that he had this like incriminating stuff on his phone um, or on, on the guy's oh, phone yeah. and uh, searching for the guy. Um, and it was um, it, it, it got into some really wild territory. Um, but I was just like I was watching it. I was like, I could do this. I could do something like this. And so um, so I was just like, oh, oh, that's what I can do. Uh, and so I, it, it's just the, um, the kind of thing where the, the, you know, that little like burst of inspiration sure. is, is yeah. what came to me right there. And from there, like I was thinking about it that entire night, I literally pulled aside my friend Lance Caristy, uh, and, and, um, you know, was like, I've got it. Uh, cause, cause my friends had been telling me for a while, Hey Sam, you gotta do a micro budget feature, uh, to really get yourself, um, to start, kind to of, get, you know. get my, to get yourself started, and um, so so I was struggling for a long time to figure out what that would even be. And when this when this burst of inspiration came, I was like, oh, yeah, that works perfectly. Uh, and so I pulled aside my friend Lance. I you know explained to him the general idea of what I was going for. It was basically fully formed in my head, and he was like, yeah, no, that sounds great. Uh, and so, yeah. uh, I, you know, I got home that, uh, that night and pulled aside, uh, my friend Don Milliken, who, um, at the time we had just become roommates, like literally a, a few days before we had moved <laughs> in. Um, right. and, and I was like, Don, I've got it. I've got a movie and I want you to be the, the title character. And so I, I wrote him like the first, like 20 pages of the script and he looked at it and he was like, this is me distilled. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's nice to know that like, Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Well, nice. I mean, it helps that I kind of wrote the character for him. Cause it's, it's like his own personality, just like applied with in a slightly different way. And so it was really easy for him to get into the performance of, you know, this, this, um, you know, 
delusional man who thinks he lives in a fantasy world, right? You <laughs> yeah. know, um, but but it's it's very much leaning heavily into that um, classic knight portrayal kind of aesthetic, but then just setting it in Duluth. Right, that certain sense of I have this chivalry. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, but it's not like you go to the, you, you just wear regular clothes. But yeah. for him, it's that delusional sense that he's yeah. on this epic mission. So, so yeah, I kind of like, um, you know, remolded the general plot idea from crazy guy running away from the mob boss into crazy guy trying to take down the mob boss with the sword. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so no, it's almost, with the sword. With this, literally with the sword. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you didn't know. Um, I don't. Did you, did, with if you buy the Blu-ray, did you still using the audio track, the commentary track? Um, no, the, we uh, completely redid the commentary track between the original release and now. Got it. Okay, because we tried the first take was here in our studio. Yeah, we <laughs> we uh, we actually recorded. Um, uh, uh, my, me, Don, and one of the crew, uh, we all recorded um, the commentary track. Um, in your studio right here. Yeah. yeah, it was fascinating. It was great to actually get to see it. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, writing, were you comfortable? I mean, it sounds like just bursts of energy, and that mm-hmm. kind of is a little bit dangerous for writers because you're like – Oh, absolutely. Because when you start flowing, like, oh, should I take a little breather, take a little break? But it's well, that I mean, energy. The, the first draft, I will admit, was kind of garbage. Um, it, you know, it leaned yeah. into some really weird things. There was this, like – mentor character who had no place actually being in the film because he just kind of did nothing um, except for like spouting wise wisdom that really would have been better for the protagonist to figure out on his own. Yeah. Um, you know, and so um, that's kind of the stuff that went into draft two. Really, the script needed a third draft, but I was so hyped up on the concept of like actually filming it that uh, I just kind of was like, let's do this. Let's go for it. And right. So, um, yeah, I mean, if I had had more time because I, I – I went into this with the idea, okay, I'm going to write this and shoot it and we're going to edit it and have it all done in the span of a year so we can release it at Duluth Superior Film Festival 2018. Um, and so, so funny enough, we actually managed to make that happen. Um, the final products that showed at Duluth Superior Film Fest was like 90% finished, so not actually done. But, um, you know, we managed to do something that people really enjoy. Like, people actually laughed at the jokes that, you know, in the way that, like, I expected them to. Um, and it was just, like, so, so validating to know that, like, yeah, people people get this. People are, are on board for this. It's, it's one of those things that you and I are being writers and film directors. And people are like, what do you think about the product? And it's like, it's okay, but if... It, to play it at a theater and nobody shows up, that's my greatest fear. Oh, yeah. That's, that's it, right? You start everything and then you show it and it's just you. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and, and I've already... But at least people came to... Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Well, and I've already had that experience, kind of. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's it's more, uh, you know... It's more poor, uh, poor advertising on my part um, for some of the screenings that happens. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like... The, you know, Glehan had a screening at um, uh, one, fil- one film festival. I'm not going to name names because it doesn't need to be named. But there was one film festival where, um, you know, they put us in the very early morning and I uh, didn't really understand how to do the ground game of like, uh, you know, promotion. Putting, putting the name yeah. out there and you know, promotion. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And it happened to be like very early in the festival. So there was really no way to 
get the word out in the first place. Um, and so, yeah, we only had like three people in that screening. Well, timing is key in the film industry. Yes. Timing, the right yes. spot, yeah. Which is why Top Gun Maverick, perfect to hold off because I think if you wait a while, perfect timing when there oh, was yeah. it hit the right spot for that film. Yeah, no, that yeah. film was was definitely one that you, you had to see in theaters. Yeah, and it's, it's a good thing to wait because I think when it came out when initially before pre-COVID, it would have been in the cacophony of summer blockbuster movies. But mm -hmm. when it came out this summer, when there's not really a lot, and it came out the right time where everybody could talk about it, and there's perfect timing for that yeah. movie to come out. They figure out the right spot. And timing is one of the key elements for the film industry. Yeah. And so you wrote it, um, directed was your first time directing? It was my first time directing a feature film. Uh, I had done some short films before then. Okay, um, all right. Which, I mean, I really see them more as like my student films because I didn't actually go to film school. I'm, I'm completely self-taught. Oh, you went um, to film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, if, if there's any school that I went to, it's the School of Hard Knocks. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I... I um, yeah, so I, I had done some like short films that were effectively okay. student films. Um, and so this in a similar vein was like my senior capstone thesis kind of thing. Um, you know, and so I don't know. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's got some rough edges, but I think for what it is, um, it's, it's, it's well, for me, even though you're talking about delusions, yeah, it's very truthful filming. There's really, you know, you guys are doing the best with what you have. Exactly. Yeah. And it's almost like the characters are doing the best with what they have. And you actually went on locations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's really fortunate that um, Duluth is, has a pretty relaxed attitude about filming. Um, just like in general, we were able to go out to parks on random streets and just film whatever. Um, you know, we didn't have like a massive crew or anything. It was basically uh, me running camera and then somebody running sound. Uh, and then, you know, whoever our actors were all just kind of doing their thing um yeah. and and we just kind of like made it work but like yeah people were generally very positive toward us filming um you know we had random uh random people we ran into on on the sidewalk uh who you know some of them in in some cases we like needed some extras here and there and we were like hey do you want to be in a movie and they were like yeah sure we want to be in a movie uh, and so so there's a few people just in the background who you know especially early on who who um are in are in the frame and they're just random people that we asked hey do you want to be in um and they they just played along with it so great and yeah. it's it's perfect uh one of the elements of directing is you got to kind of formulate a schedule did you have like a script supervisor with you or is that another hat that you had to wear too uh technically i did bring on somebody to be the script supervisor but okay. then in like the first day of her being on uh i was i i made the mistake of of claiming continuity doesn't matter when i was you know making some um i was making some like like choices about like how we were going to do things to make it really work for the um oh, what's the word for the aesthetic and stuff, for the vibe. Sure. Um, you know, because he's she, delusional. Do you think? Well, okay, yeah. Well, yeah, kind of, and and also just like for uh, to make some of the jokes land right and stuff like that. Um, you know, and and so I was full on breaking continuity, and you know, the person who I had brought on as the script supervisor, uh, she was like, um, "Hey, no, that's that's not right." And I was like, "Continuity doesn't matter." And uh, so she was like, "Well, my job's useless," uh, and so she just kind of. 
uh, demoted herself to a PA. Um, <laughs> and and from that point on, like we just kind of didn't uh, bother thinking about it. Okay. And it, it, it actually, you know, bit us in the butt a little bit. I managed to, you know, work around it in the edit and, and massage things a bit. But it actually made me learn the hard way uh, just how important continuity actually is to the point where I am now a script supervisor when working on other people's films. Right. Um, especially when you make a you know, horror movie and you make a mess. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, all right, make sure what everything is. Don't touch anything. Right. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you got a bloody walls and everything. And like, stay away from the bloody yeah. walls because we, we don't want to recreate this. Well, and, and I think it helped like that, that in my mind, I already knew exactly what I was going for. I, was, I had like the shot list running in my head. Okay. Um, and so like I knew what we were getting and or what we needed to get and what we were getting. Um, there were a few times where things slipped my mind like establishing shots and stuff like that um you know but but we still managed to make it work okay um and so you know i learned the hard way but also um you know i think uh overall the films that i make in the future are going to be a lot better for it uh doing my first film i learned i'm gonna have to be a little more um pressed exactly what i want Mm -hmm. you know people like what do you want to do this i and if i have if i'm the director i really like i would I want this. Mm-hmm. This is the way it's going to be rather than everything needs to be negotiated. Yeah. Um, the second thing, I think people just want a director to be, you know, if they have a question for you, just answer the question. It's like, eh, whatever. They want, like, should I do this or this? And even though it does seem... Specificity really helps. Yeah. Yeah. Should I wear this or wear this today? And if you say, ah, it doesn't matter, whatever. They just want an answer like, I would like that today. I think that's people like a direct response. Yeah. You usually Minnesotans are like, yeah, whatever, uh, you know, feel good, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I, so I learned, especially if you want to be a director, be a little more assertive to your the vision that you want. People understand that because I think if you press it, they're like, okay, that must be really important for the story if he really wants it, even though it seems like it's not necessary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I had a similar. Um, a similar case to that, you know, working with a concept artist um, on the the pitch for my for my next movie, um, you know, she was um, uh, we were, we were having a back and forth about um, you know the the positioning of one character um, in the in the frame of what we were doing, and uh, she made a really good case for having it one way, but I was like, no, in my mind, it's really got to be this way, and you know, uh, ultimately, Damn. you know. Um, I did win out on that, but it doesn't make me feel great that, like, you know, there had to be that kind of, uh, you know, push and pull. Right. And so the next conversation I want to have is yeah. cinematographer. I know you did a lot of the camera work yourself. Uh, yeah, I was not terribly good at it, but yeah. I did. So you were primarily the only cinematographer for the movie as well? Yeah. So a lot of hats again writing directing and then you're holding the camera as well yeah yeah so well and and i am really fortunate that now i have found a good cinematographer who i really trust um and and he and i vibe really well we've got similar you know mindsets about um visuals and and stuff so that's not going to be an issue anymore um but but even so like uh yeah i definitely did um I did. I did struggle wearing a lot of those hats and like you know running the camera and also directing and also figuring or figuring out continuity and stuff like that, um, and keeping the shot list running in my head. Um, yeah. 
Okay. Where did you find the camera to use? Um, I actually bought it off my friend Lance Caristy. Uh, <laughs> okay, he, all right. He, he had all used right. it in his previous film and was upgrading to another camera that could actually shoot 60 frames a second, and uh, this one couldn't. So he was like, well, this is useless to me. And so I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll buy it for a 1000 bucks." And so that's what uh, a small portion of the movie budget went toward was buying that camera. Uh, and it's it's served me very well ever since. I usually, yeah, because I think if you want to be a film director or any other, so the conversation you need to have with a cinematographer about what is transpiring, because not only is the shot, but how you compose the shot yeah, and the frame of the shot, why is it we're shooting it this way? And that needs to be something you have to talk about before you even begin on the set. Mm-hmm. And it's very key because um, I've done a lot of films where all of a sudden the cinematographer just shows up on set and the director's like, this is what we're going to do. And it sometimes has to be that way based on scheduling. But I think if you get an opportunity to take a break and just have a conversation with your cinematographer about how you want to do things, yeah, it's a necessity. Yeah, yeah. no, it, and having that kind of... Um it really does help to have sort of a synergy with a cinematographer. Yeah. Uh, and in my case, it was really fortunate that like I had the synergy with my own brain. Um, but you know, even so like, um, again, when you wear so many hats, like you, you kind of lose track of things. And so having, having those multiple brains also kind of helps right. to, um, helps to, make things go smoother yeah i think my for my next film i don't know if you're interested i think i would need like an acting coach on set mm. and i think because i'm not an actor primarily i would think i should take some acting classes just to familiar myself I, every director should take acting classes yeah um i i i was really smart um thinking uh to take um a little bit of community theater when i was living up in uh babbitt minnesota um you know with uh living with my parents and and there just happened to be a really great um you know theater director um you know who's like professionally trained his name is joseph koffenberg um and yeah. he he was um he, he and his family were actually featured in in glahan um, okay yeah, All right. yeah 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 they they were the the various people who appeared in the dream sequence um you know where where the protagonist is like working through his uh his his you know traumas and stuff um or you know working through the things that he's like concerned about but yeah so um the the Koffenberg family all featured in in that scene um and that's wonderful yeah, yeah so so it's just like i you know they they were the people that i like learned a lot of my acting stuff from um, right and so so those kinds of lessons that I learned in that or, you know, in that avenue actually have co- gone on to help me as a director to understand, like, how an actor's brain kind of works. I think it right. I think I, I'm dancing around doing it mm-hmm. and talking about it so much. I'm one of those people I need to talk about it many times before I actually do it. I mm-hmm. should actually do some acting classes yes, before my next Yes, definitely take some acting classes. Just to be to know how you talk and correspond with other actors. And know how their processes are rather than, all right, Jake, take 20, start crying. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I actually kind of, um, I, I ran into a little bit of um, that, of me not really stumbling over that kind of thing of like, okay, just take 20 and start crying. Because we literally had one of those kind of situations on the set of Glehan. Um, uh, Kent Dean, who plays Mark, the the protagonist of okay. the film, yeah. um, you know, there there was a scene where like, you know, I really wanted him to, um, you know, be upset at, um, 
you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Be, he, you know, he's he's very upset that Gleahan has been uh, captured by the the villain and his goons. Um, and so, um, you know, I I'm, I I gave him the direction. I gave Kent the direction. Like, okay, I need you to 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 cry in this, uh, or you know, have at least a little bit of tears. And so it did take him a solid like five minutes to work himself up. But like when he did, he nailed it. Yeah. So um, I think actors yeah. need, just like you mentioned. It's not on the spot, even though right. people talk about it's on the spot. Right. You need no, like they a have time to get into that mental yeah. state. Um, you know, they have to really like, you know, dig deep, especially for for crying. Yeah. Well, yeah. like uh, Tom Hanks talked about it when he was interviewed for um, on the in the actor studio, and he talked about when he's doing Save a Private Ryan, mm. and he goes, "All of a sudden, we're doing a take, and Spielberg just wanted to came up to him and goes, I just want to let you know uh, tomorrow we need you to cry.'" And he goes, just having a day <laughs> to realize what I have to do. And he goes, well, just have you all by yourself. We try to bare bones. This, you know, instead of having the big production, everybody zooming in on, we're trying to scale back the production for that scene. I think the scene is when he goes behind the rock and has mm-hmm. a melt, he has meltdown in Private Ryan. Oh yeah. And he goes, we'll just bare bones shoot it. Maybe five people on set, and we'll get that, and then we'll let you kind of time to recover. And then off you go. And he goes, that's why he's a great filmmaker. <laughs> he just, <laughs> Yeah, Spielberg is one of those people who really knows how to work with actors. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a skill where I need to have some some more. Um, I definitely need to develop my that skill a bit more. Uh, and hopefully as I do more films, then it's going to just come, uh, come naturally. Um, but he's also a great puzzle solver on yeah, set. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really those two... Um, those two elements are like the signs of a really good director is like um, puzzle solving and um, you know, being able to communicate with people. And then also I suppose like having a really strong vision. Yep. Yeah. Um, even happens to um, Andrew Hunt who just made a movie with uh, mm. Guy Pierce. We had him on. Yeah. And we talked about, there was a time where he didn't know how to set the shot. He had to add advice his actors on set. What, how do you think you want to do that? Because believe it or not, we don't have all the answers. <laughs> right. Sometimes we're coming coming into a shoot and like, ah, I don't want to shoot this, and then you get stuck, and they don't want that time to be stuck. Like you have to problem solve on site sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Those problem solving bits, they definitely crush your soul, but like they're they're so <laughs> essential, you know. And and yeah, it's it feels bad when you're when you're holding up the whole production because you you don't know how to solve something. Um, but you know, it's, it's, I think what's more important is finding the right solution, um, instead of just like, you know, finding something quick, right? you know, and sometimes it is more important to find something quick, um, just whether it's like budget or, you know, something like that, you know, if you're like burning money, but, um, yeah, I think, um, it's one thing that I've, that, that frustrates me is when, filmmakers will go for the easy solution because it's easy um you know and and the lazy it feels lazy um you know i i i don't know i i put a lot of stock into um you know going big going bold um you know having you know the going for that sweeping shot if you can actually manage to pull it off Right. Um, well, that's I, that's why I admire Christopher Nolan. People can get up, but he's swinging a big bat for all his movies. Yeah. Whether he strikes out or he's going to hit out of the park, he's still using this big bat to make movies. Yeah. So he's doing what you do. Let's just let's go big. 
Yeah. Make big, big scale, big scope, go everything. Go big or go home. Yeah. And so whether you come away with the movie, if you're disappointed or not, it's still uh, the scope and scale will kind of impress you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I talk about it with my films, and it's, it's, I'll share with you, I always look for where I'm going to win. Where are we winning? Is it with the dresses, the costuming? Let's show it off. Are we winning with the acting? Mm-hmm. Can you dance? Let's find some way to get you to dance in this movie. If you're a really good dancer, a really good singer, we'll find some way where we're winning. If I had John Tavolta <laughs> on my set, my God, I'll find some way to get him to dance. <laughs> 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 Because I think if people show off their love to show off their talents, if you were able to cry immediately on set, let's find some way to get you to cry. You know, yeah. something to show off your talents. That's why I, I, that's another avenue of mine where we we can win is show off where we can do. It. If I have a really good costume designer, I want to show make them pop and everything. So that's another key I think for making a movie because it's not an individual thing as we're talking about. Right, because because film really is like the culmination of a whole bunch of different art forms all working together. Uh, and there's been a few of these throughout history. Um, you know, racist granddaddy Richard Wagner uh, talked about how opera was that same thing, you know, where it's all the different um, art disciplines working together. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I, I say racist granddaddy because he was basically a proto-Nazi. Um, and yeah. So, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it, the the concept, though, of like, you know, the all encompassing work, um, you know, I think that's, that's absolutely something that, you know, we can strive for. Uh, and, and I think that with film, we simply like add more, um, add more art, artistic mediums to an already like, you know, all encompassing kind of medium. So, yeah. I mean, on top of like, you know, you've got music, you've got acting, you've got writing. Now you've also got photography in motion um, and editing, yeah. you know, all of these things um, working together. I think that like, if you're not firing on all cylinders, um, which is hard to do in, yeah, exactly. If you're not firing on all cylinders though, then I don't know. I'm, I'm less excited by it. Yeah. It's hard to have everybody that's, Everybody working together because eventually, yeah, all cylinders yeah. going together at the same time. It's difficult yeah. to do, but it's also great fun when everything is working together. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I also think like you know dynamics are kind of important. So you know it doesn't necessarily have to be every single department firing on all cylinders at all times. I think like if you if you um, you know weave it around and have certain aspects showcasing themselves at different times just like you know a jazz ensemble right you know and and by by really like showcasing different things at different times you kind of like you know it it feels like a ironically feels like a more cohesive whole yeah well that sounds like a perfect time to take a break awesome and we'll be back with more with samuel t weston hi this is mouse and weens and we are two sisters with the mouse and weens podcast nice and clear (laughs) come take a listen it's fun we talk about life love and pubic hair sick (laughs) (laughs) and all sorts of fun family memories and stuff yeah come on (laughs) we're on all the platforms and we hope you take a listen bye Welcome back, and now more with the show.
All right, back with more. And um, so we talked about your uh, a full feature film, Glehan and the Knaves of Industry. Mm-hmm. I finally got it right. Um, so what is next for you uh, in the future? So what's what's coming up next for you? Yeah. So um, right now I'm working on a couple films. Um, one in particular that I'm really pushing is like a full-on fantasy film. It's called Wizards of the Underworld. Uh, it's an urban fantasy conspiracy thriller. Um, you know, so it's, it's, uh, set in a world where magic definitely exists. Um, but there's this one city where magic is banned, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, um, it follows the, um, it follows this like inquisitor for magic, basically like a detective whose job is to investigate magic related crimes. And so in the course of doing her job, there's a freak accident that upends her life. And so she has to, you know, naturally she has to investigate. And yeah. so, but, but in her investigation, there's, uh, she, she uncovers a conspiracy that's been going on for a thousand years. And so the film kind of like unravels that. All right. So there's a little bit of a mystery component oh, to yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's almost like, um, fantasy meets real, real world almost uh, but I mean, you, you yeah, follow the chronicles of the detectives yeah right? yeah so so I, we're we're gonna film it in duluth um it, you know yeah we're gonna film it in duluth and oh, crap words well locations primarily like is it exterior interior there, yeah there's a lot of exteriors um you know combination of exteriors and interiors but like we're, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna film it in duluth and use those bones um and then just kind of like yeah build out with it um you know using visual effects to like uh or you know and you know background replacements and stuff like that yeah to really like um heighten it and make it feel more like it's its own fantasy city so you can have a little more more a little more graphics than the last movie. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, who wrote it? Did you write I, it? Yeah, I wrote it. Um, oh. I, I write all of my movies, um, and and this one, you know, I I started writing it, you know, just kind of like feeling things out, and yeah. um, but but you know, eventually I, I landed on like, let's see, well, like a full flesh movie took you a while. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but you but you. You did, did you get like did you do what you did, the other one like the first draft second draft you finally got like a... oh yeah I mean this one's on draft nine I think uh, <laughs> okay <it's>, <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah. it's it's on like um it, what I what I've been doing with it I mean so it started out as just like this concept of okay what can I do what can I shoot in Duluth that's still a fantasy movie but is still relatively cheap um you know, yeah and that's so, a, and so what I what I ended up landing on was okay. Uh, a city where magic is banned. Well, why is magic banned? And so that's just kind of like the the thought process that love it. cascaded toward like coming to this conclusion. I love um, it. And yeah, so like there's there's um, you know mystery, but it's not really there, forefront, right? Well, I mean, yeah, it's the it's the mystery of of like and and honestly, like the the magic being banned is actually a production hack. Um, See, see, <laughs> right. see, by banning magic, it yeah. means that we don't have to spend visual effects money no, but showing I, magic. Right. It's almost like, you know, um, when you do the monster, but you don't really show the monster all the right. time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there, there's going to be a little bit of magic here and there, you know, just to like, you know, actually make good on the promise. Um, yeah. But like, you know, by banning magic, it actually like makes it easier to film. Right. My One of my favorite movies is the original Cat People. And. The whole movie, they're talking about how this girl, this female, can turn into a 
Black Panther and murder everybody, but you never really see the animal. It's mm. all implied. Mm. It's all suggested. And I yeah. think that's what you're talking about. It's like the magic is almost implied. Like maybe, oh, you, absolutely. maybe you see something in the background, but he also. Well, and there's going to be some that it's just like, you know, all shown through like the actor's movements, you know? Yeah. Um, I think some of that, some of that's going to be um, some of those, some of that kind of stuff is, it really heightens a film, you know, yeah. when when the actors are able to have fun with um, you Play. know metaphysical concepts yeah. of like you know, uh, yeah, I can't really get into a whole lot because I know I don't want you to reveal too much, but yeah, um, yeah. Wizards of the Underworld, Underworld. I yeah. love that. Yeah, and I think people love to have a little more play. You can a little more play with the classrooms, but you're right, you can advance out. Not using so much over right. Sus- so there's gonna be, there's gonna be a, a good mix of like you know modern wardrobe and then you know there's gonna be full, some characters in full on suits of armor. Yeah. Um. You know, and just kind of like blending the it's 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 literally taking a, a modern aesthetic, but by way of a fantasy world. Got it. You know? I love it. I love how you usually you seem like that's kind of your theme throughout your oh, both yeah. first two movies. Oh yeah. No, I. I my whole thing is like my goal is to uh, write and direct fantasy movies. Um, I started out actually as a kid, um, you know, writing fantasy books. And oh, yeah, yeah. So this was like in you know junior high, high school. Um, you know, I was writing fantasy books, and I realized pretty early on that oh, what I'm doing here is uh, is is very like sound and visual based. Why am I not writing this as a script? And so, and so I, 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 you know, delved into like writing movie scripts and I realized pretty early on in that process too, that if I really wanted to have these movies that I was writing, make it to the big screen and make it in the way that I was envisioning, I would also have to direct. Yeah. Uh, and so I've just kind of been working on that goal for the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, when are you going to, when's principal photography going to begin? What do you- uh, well, the. The goal is to shoot it in um, like August, September of this coming year, or, or of, of 2023, right. maybe 24, um, depending on like when we can actually get the budget to, okay. to do this. So you're doing the next stage, which we hate is yeah money fundraising. Fundraising, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and for this one, like it's not just the kind of thing where we can do a crowdfunding campaign. We need actual investors because um, it's going to cost like you know in the high hundreds of thousands to make. Um, oh. You know, if not, especially like, if it's a full feature. Yeah, if not like the the low millions. Um, All know. right. Well, we definitely. Keep, I'll keep my ears open. Yeah. Um, when the fundraising campaign starts for the Wizards of the Underworld, yeah. if you guys are going to do like a Kickstarter or, or yeah, we might do a Kickstarter. Um, just to like you know for, or Indiegogo. Yeah, we might do a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo for um you know to cover like post production and marketing costs. Um, but that's something that we would have to or my producers and I would have to talk about with. Uh, who you know, whichever investors come on board for the first round. I did an Indiegogo for my first comic book, and I, it, you're right. I didn't know how to announce it to people mm-hmm. very well. Well, and and we crowdfunded Glayahon too. Um, you know that was oh crowdfunded. Yeah. That's another avenue. Yeah. Well, I mean that's that's what Indiegogo and Kickstarter are. You know, is is, yeah. is crowdfunding. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, no. So we we crowdfunded for Glayahon and um. You know, but that was that was a much smaller film. We're talking like a few thousand dollars. Um, this one, you want to go bigger. This one, yeah, it, it needs to go bigger, um, especially because I want to actually pay the crew properly. <laughs> That's the other thing I keep on my budget. I like to even pay my PAs. Yeah. 
I like PAs, and I like people to eat well too. Yeah, no, yeah. I think I think any film that um, is not paying its crew, you know, something reasonable, um, is a film that isn't really doing its job right. Right. Yeah, I know too many people that don't don't pay anything. It's like I know you can afford it. Come on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I know you can afford it. Well, and especially when you when you go into a, uh, making a film as like a business venture. Um, that's especially when you need to like pay the crew. Like I understand if it's like a you know fun little art project, um, but I'm not trying to do fun little art projects. I'm trying to like make some business here and you know yeah. grow some economic development. And we're talking about the other aspect of it is promotions and mm -hmm. fundraising. Yeah. It's another aspect that you have to be really skilled for if you want to be a director. Because yeah. we can talk about creative process and everything, but this is a big deal that helps you get you out there is how you can um, hustle. Hustling is yeah, the other exactly. thing. Yep. So I know I have to hustle for my comic books. I go to the cons. You know, I'm not a big celebrity. I have to. I get my tables, and I have to hustle out somewhere too. Yeah. 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 And personally, I'm not really a fan of hustle culture, but like, <laughs> it is the unfortunate reality of this business in which we work. Right. It's even me being a comic book artist and having to go to the cons. That's part of the nature. You got to be out yeah. there hustling and. Yeah. Yep. It's part of the things that you have to be. That's another thing you can get skill for at because a lot of people are really skillful raising monies, and then sometimes the product isn't. Uh, yeah, my yeah. flavor. Yeah, but they well, can get and, it done. And if only those people who are really skilled at raising money could be like paired with people who are making really good at making good art. <laughs> you know, yes. imagine yeah. what sparks could fly. Yes, yes. So. With writing, do you do you don't do outlines with your stuff? You just go. Well, I, I do outlines. Oh, you do. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. With so with Wizards of the Underworld, I actually like. Um, um, are you familiar with Dan Harmon's Story Circle? Um, no, let let my listeners know about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. So the Story Circle is sort of an eight step like distillation of the the hero's journey that. Um, Joseph Campbell came up with. Well, I know that. I have his yeah, books. Yeah, yeah. So, so the hero's journey, like you know, it's it's sort of this cyclical thing, um, you know, at, with with all these different stages. But uh, what Dan Harmon did is like he actually like distilled it down and figured out. Okay, so there's like eight steps that appear in basically every story that ever exists. Um, and and um, you know, if you if you're missing some of these things, then you don't have a story. Um, you know, and and so it's. Let me see if I remember this off Story the top of my circle. head. Story okay. circle. Um, yeah. So, so step one, it, it starts with you, whoever the protect, whoever the character is uh, for that's following that circle. Um, you know, and uh, step two is go. You, you, uh, the character goes to. Gets out. Gets out yeah, there. Yeah. Like the hobbits, I'm on a journey. Yeah. Yeah. The the character like, or, so, there's something wrong with their life, and so they they go out and they. Um, um, they search for, um, sorry, I don't have this memorized, but it's what I critique my, uh, they're searching for their authentic self, well, whether they're, they're going through their, there's something that they want and they, they yeah. go and they search for, for it. And, um, you know, in the process of doing that, they find what they're looking for, but they have to pay a heavy price. Um, and so then they return having changed. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the next start. But also, when I usually critique things and usually watch movies, is that core of as that character finding their authentic self in their process? Yeah, yeah. who they really are. Um, but yeah, so so in in the course of um, 
outlining and, and sort of working out Wizards of the Underworld. Yeah. I actually built story circles for many of the major characters. So like not only the protagonist, but also, um, you know, s- several of the supporting characters, the antagonist. Um, Build like backgrounds. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, uh. it's, it's building like full on character arcs and motivations for each one of them so that they all kind of have their own like you know, interweaving like conflicts um, that, yeah. you know, each one of them feels like a fully fleshed out character, yeah. you know, and and that's, you know, I think it's an essential um, part of, you know, writing, writing, yeah. writing a robust story is like making sure that all the characters like feel fully, you know, full embodied characters. Absolutely right. Yeah. Develop undeveloped characters are just my one of my things. I just yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. so I, you, I know a lot of people that write outlines i know it's supposed to be doing them and but they do it here's the thing um different writers have different processes if you work better without having an outline more power to you personally i work better with an outline um but you know there's there's nothing wrong with um i mean the the writing community calls it pantsing you know writing uh writing by the seat of your pants where you just put something on the page and then figure out okay what happens next and and what happens next and so on and so forth um there is nothing wrong with that and i think that especially for like first drafting kind of stuff um you know the if you're doing it, uh, if, if it works for you, it can be very freeing. Yes. Uh, I know some people love to write themselves in a corner mm-hmm. and figure out how am I going to get out of that. Yeah. I think yeah. Paul Schrader does that. Yeah. Um, it's not for me, but I know yeah. I know plenty of people who do enjoy that process, and it's totally valid. Right. Um, it goes to my next question. Yeah. Um, have you already have an ending in mind, or do you write to the ending? Oh, oh, in my process. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, usually, usually I have a general sense of like where I want things to go. Sure. Um, sometimes the ending that I have in mind, um, you know, I'll write that in the first draft and sometimes it doesn't work. Um, you know, sometimes I have to completely, you know, go back and, and rethink the ending because it just doesn't, doesn't work right. Um, you know, in, in Wizards of the Underworld, one of the earlier drafts actually had uh, a, you know, big final battle, um, you know, but then I realized, oh, with with these characters and the, the trajectory that they've been on, it actually doesn't make sense for them to have a final battle. They should really do something more internal. And so that's what I wrote. You okay. know, there's there's more um, there's more of a memory aspect instead. I think it's important to and especially when I do my writing is have an idea where you want to go. Not really commit to that and wholeheartedly and put that in stone. That's what has to be, because yeah, and part of the process, things might change, and I think that's what we enjoy when we write. Like I have this idea. Oh, this this would be far more. This is where we should go with this or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not only that, but as you're writing, it's almost. I love when you get to a part where the characters are telling you what you to do, rather than it feels like you're part. You're you're dictating. Rather, characters and telling you what you are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I don't think about it so much in those terms, just because like, I'm autistic. I don't really, um, I don't really understand like, you know, disembodied characters telling you uh, what to do. <laughs> uh, but I, I do understand like the the sort of the spirit of of what you're talking about of yeah. like, you know, figuring out what 
what makes sense for a character yes. rather than trying to push them in one direction. Yes, that's what I'm trying to explain. You explain it much better to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Right. Um, because I've so much of my time, I, my story with the Greenway, my novel, and then I'm working on a book, I start with one character thinking it's going to be the primary character. And then I realize that's not the person. It's the other person that I thought would be secondary. And that happens all the time where I start with one. I concentrate on one. They're like, that's not the person that you thought would be the main character. It's somebody else. And so usually my stories start with a character that's not the main character. It's not intentional. It's just like, I thought that person was going to be the start of it all. And it's not. <laughs> so it does happen once in a while. I have to listen to what the characters, what they should be doing rather than what I want them to do. Yeah. Yeah. So do you write at any time during the day? Can you write? Are you primarily at oh, night man. during their day? I, I have such a regimented routine when I write. Yeah. Um, it's pretty, pretty crippling, actually. <laughs> um, so so what I'll usually do is um, um, and, and this is something where I have to, like, get into that mindset um, for, like, a full month at a time. OK. Um, you know, or. or you know, I have to like get in that mindset. And if I leave that mindset, it's a whole process to get back into it. Okay. Um, and so, but, but when I'm finally in that state of mind, uh, what I will do is, you know, wake up, um, just s literally, um, start writing, you know, and, okay. and just, you know, in my PJs at my kitchen table, just start writing, um, you know, and, and write for, uh, it's probably, um, couple hours or yeah, probably a couple hours um or you know like I'll, I'll write for about an hour give myself like a 15 minute break um okay just like you know stretching and then uh, stretching and and like you know refocusing my mind um you know and sometimes there will be some tiktok involved um <laughs> you know and and then go back to writing uh yeah. and and do that for another hour two hours basically up till lunch then i'll have breakfast um you know and uh, you know and I, from that point then you know i'll probably also take a shower and just be done for the day i you applaud know, so. you people that can write first thing in the morning yeah I mean, <laughs> well usually i mean it also doesn't help that like well what i figured out pretty early on is yeah. that um when i wake up um i have i have a lot of focus that i can apply wherever but if i happen to apply that focus to say watching youtube videos or tiktok or whatever sure. then um you know my focus for the rest of the day is kind of gone i mean i can i can refocus on like businessy things but you know as far as like untapped potential for like focusing on creative things on writing, especially, yeah. um, especially when like I'm figuring out the path and figuring out like, you know, okay, what's the next step here? Um, that's when it's a lot harder to, um, get into that mindset if I haven't already, um, if I haven't already like done that from the start of the day you need to start right then and there exactly i yeah. get it yeah, yeah um so so for me um like yeah i can apply myself to like you know random world building tidbits or um you know or, or building up like um 
uh, you know, working on like some design projects sure. or something like that. I can start that at any time of the day with no problem. Um, you know, I can I can work through a budget spreadsheet at any time of the day. Um, <laughs> but but the writing process specifically has like of like actually sitting down and writing the words that has to be first thing in the morning, at least for me. Yeah. Um, everybody else has their different process. No, mine's complete opposite. Exactly. Yeah. I need to experience the entire day before I can pretty much like 7 p.m., 8 p.m. Just yeah decompress and then get back to the process yeah. and yeah. and every you know every person has their own um process um you know just like you and i have completely different <laughs> like processes for getting into writing um and whatever that is um you first you got to figure out what it is but whatever you end up landing on it's probably valid yeah. if it works for you it works there you go if it works for you it works uh, wonderful um i want to thank samuel t weston for coming on my show yeah. Thank you very much. We will love to have you come back when we can talk about your the next movie, Wizards of the Underworld. I would love to talk about it. I would love that, yes. And um, before we go, I wanted to mention uh, to our listeners where you can find your first one, the Glenlin. I, I can't say it. Ah! Sorry. You know, Speaking this, of words. This is this is one of the um, things that I learned early on. Is, uh, if I put a fantasy movie in the title, it is Right. Learned this the hard way through Glayahan. Well, I, I get tripped on words all sure, the time, and it's still. Sure. Um, this, is, this is why you know my, my next films. You know, one of them is one of them is called Wizards of the Underworld. Another one is called The Broken Fellowship. You know, because it's all, yeah, it's all regular English words, right. rather than this yeah. invented fantasy mumbo jumbo that I've created. <laughs> it's called. Uh, Glehan and the Knaves of Industry. Yes. You can find it on uh, the Fantasy Network. We'll put the link down below. And we were looking forward to uh, the Wizards of the Underworld. Um, so Samuel T. Weston, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. And as he knows, it's not over to the guest says it's over. It's over. There we go. There we go.